With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, afternoon, or morning to wherever you may be. I'd like to thank you for tuning in and welcome you to Euphodicy on Odyssey. On this show, we're going to discuss UFO news, events both new and historical, and other fields related UFOs. My name is Thomas Wordman. I'm the state director for the Mutual UFO Network of Ohio, along with being an independent researcher. Here we are in August. The pandemic is still going on strong. There's some signs that it appears to be dropping in the area of number of new cases reported daily, but you can't help but wonder if that's all going to change because we are going into flu season and you can't help but wonder if we're going to be hitting like round two of the coronavirus. There's been talk of vaccines being developed, vaccines potentially coming out before long, but it's one of those wait and see type situations because when the the vaccine comes out, is it going to be effective? How effective is it? And how many doses are going to be available for individuals out there? One of the big things we're going to see here in the United States this fall goes back to sports. Right now, baseball season is being played before empty seats. Now, it is kind of amusing to see people's faces on placards setting in seats in the stands. But it's not the same as seeing the baseball game live full of fans. When you add the fans into a baseball game, it, it adds an extra attraction occasionally. When the ball's hit towards the foul line and the player drifts over, you see the player fighting for the ball with the fans. Sometimes you see beer being spilled all over individuals. It, it's kind of fun to see things like that. Or you get to see the great catch not by the player, but the fan. You see the fan reach out with one hand and catch the ball. Probably a couple hours later, they're almost regretting it because their hand is stinging from the impact of the ball. But it adds a little bit something extra into the game. Football season. That's going to be a big change this fall. The Pac-10 announced that they're postponing all games. The Big Ten, they're postponing their fall season, but looking at maybe doing it in the spring of 2021. Putting off college football in the United States is going to have a lot of impact on the budgets of some of these colleges because there are a lot of dollars brought in from these college games. Basketball. Basketball's being played in what they call the dome. Players are being kept confined so it, the virus doesn't spread around, which it appears to be a good idea on the National Basketball Association. This way they can get at least part of a season rolling because not all teams are playing. That's kind of a letdown, but then it's understandable with a few games left. 
some teams wouldn't be in it just because they were so far out of it, out of contention by the time that the season restarted, there was almost no sense in bringing them back in. The lack of professional college sports is most likely going to make people turn to something different. They're going to be looking for other activities because people need an outlet. One of those outlets could be UFOs. There's some numbers I want to throw at you today that were brought up by Chris Rutowski. Chris Rutowski is a researcher out of Canada. And he posed some numbers that made me go back and look at, first of all, his findings. And maybe seek some reasonings why these numbers have changed. In an article published on Newsweek's website, Chris reported that UFOs sightings are up 50% during the country's coronavirus lockdown. I received some phone calls, by the way, over the last few weeks, noting the same thing, that individuals out there said they'd seen the numbers go up in UFO reports. And I just wanted to verify that myself from different sources. Well, Chris's report stated he tracks UFO sightings. And these UFO sighting reports are based most likely from organizations like MUFON. He didn't state the other outlets, but he mentioned social media networks as one source of information. Which ones those were in particular he didn't state. There's other organizations like the National UFO Reporting Center. There may be a, a Canadian database that he's extracting information from. I know a number of years ago there was a private organization in Canada that was collecting reports. And as a side note to that, that private organization, their website was purchased by a company called Bass Aerospace which goes back to Robert Bigelow Aerospace. His organization purchased the website and the database. At that time, this was during, if I remember correctly, the 2007 to 2012 timeframe when the ATIP program was running. The organization purchased this database so most likely they could get information out of the database concerning UFO reports and these most of them would have been over the Canada area. Big Lou also wasn't just looking at information from this Canadian website but he was into an agreement for a short time with the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON. Again the whole idea was to get information on UFO sightings and reports from a database to kind of speed up his whole process of investigations and going after information. It seems like the whole reasoning was, why start something on your own from scratch, waiting and purchase something already in operation? Going back to the article, Rutowski didn't state what all sources he had. What he did state was, there were a total of 849 reports that were collected in 2019. As part of some research, I went back and said, you know, where did these 849 reports come from? One of the sources I have readily available is 
the MUFON database. Why well, went into the MUFON database, pulled up sightings over Canada, so we've got a comparison between the two. And in 2019, it showed there were 399 reports filed with the Mutual UFO Network between January and December of 2019. Chris was reporting 849, so you're looking at roughly about 450 more reports that he gathered in his research. I did look for a way to kind of account for that extra 450 reports. The method I used was going to the National UFO Reporting Center, looking at 2019. The challenge with that is in the National UFO Reporting Center's database, Canada isn't just listed in one area. It's listed under varying areas, such as British Columbia, Alberta. And what you have to do is go back to multiple areas within Canada and extract that information separately from each of those and then add them together. Even when you do that, though, there's a challenge. Some people report they're citing both to MUFON and the National UFO Reporting Center. So what you'd have to do is go back and say, okay, now let's take out duplicate reports. And I didn't have that much time, to be very honest with you, to go back and do that. So for simplicity, I just decided to stay with MUFON's database. Not that I'm saying it's any more complete, any more exacting, but it does provide me with one source of information I could look at and go back and just look at the numbers. Well, when I did that, I was able to go back and see that in Canada, there were 399 reports in 2019. In 2020 so far, now remember, this is a time frame between January and basically August 1st. That's the dates I pulled. There were 337 reports so you've got 399 for an entire year, 337 for only a partial year. If you expanded 2020 out to a full year, it appeared you're going to see a lot more cases in that 399 for 2019. As a better comparison, what I did is I looked at the time frame from January to August of 2019. In January to August of 2019, you had 237 reports compared to 337 reports for the same time frame this year. You've got an increase of 100 reports. So you're looking at what Bertowski said, an increase of roughly 50% over 2019. His article is from, based on reports from Canada. One of the thoughts that you may have is, well, is this just reports over Canada? Is maybe Canada has something going on that maybe the other countries don't? So let's go back and look at some information based on, for example, the United States. In the United States, pulling the same information. In 2019, there were 5,469 reports. In the 2020 so far, we have 4,236 reports. So again, you're looking at a full year of 5,469, a partial year of 4,236, 
these numbers again, looking at the time frames, indicate a potential increase. So using the same example I did before for Canada, you go back and look at similar time frames from 2019 and compare that to 2020. When you look at 2019 from January to August 1st, there were 3,274 reports. In 2020, again, that January 1st to August time frame, 4,236. You're looking at an increase of roughly about 1,000 reports. So again, you've got not a 50% increase, but a substantial increase, close to, close to 50%. In actuality, it's probably right around maybe 40% of the guess. But again, that's a noticeable difference between last year and this year. Rutkowski, what he pointed out was, yeah, a lot of the cases, they're ordinary mistakes. Um, they're misidentifications. But last year, he said about 3% of these cases in Canada remained unexplained. He goes on to state that a lot of the explained cases were airplanes, stars. That's something that an investigator hates to tell a witness, by the way. As an investigator, sometimes you're hesitant to tell the witness that, you know, that unusual object that you saw, that object was descending low on the horizon, very bright, star-like in appearance. Uh, you were seeing Venus. It wasn't a UFO. A number of witnesses are very receptive of it, but occasionally you have a witness who says, no, 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 it couldn't have been Venus. When you look at the information behind a report, the object appeared in a certain area of the sky, not just one night, but multiple nights. The object descended low on the horizon. It took so long to descend and disappear. If you go back and you use, let's say, somebody's app for your cell phone, which identify natural celestial objects, that app indicated that what the witnesses are looking at was Venus. And if it's a fairly recent report, sometimes you, you tell the witness to go out the following night and they'll see the same thing. Even at that point, there's just a small amount of witnesses, a small percentage, that still can't believe they're seeing Venus. You would think in this day and age that people would be able to identify natural celestial objects a little bit easier, a little bit better. But at times they don't look at the technologies available or, for that matter, sometimes just the basic content of what they're saying. But again, that's just a few, a small percentage of the reports coming in. Just to list a few of the other things that sometimes pop up as being identified, you've got fireballs. There was an event a couple of years ago where individuals inside of an observatory, now this is a domed observatory, saw this bright flash go by. It illuminated the entire inside of the observatory. It ended up being a fireball happened to pass over at the same time they had the dome open. Other objects that appear in that identified category are drones, fireworks, and it's amazing how many people are still shooting fireworks off. Even though it's, it's over a month past 
the 4th of July holiday. In my region, we still have them shooting them off almost every night. And unfortunately, they tend to pick times like 12 o'clock in the morning, even, even 2 o'clock in the morning. Some people are shooting off fireworks. One of the other unique things that started popping reports, oh, it goes back maybe about seven years ago, was photographs. Photographs from trail cameras. We have a number of hunters out who have set up trail cameras, and not just hunters, but private individuals who just like to observe nature. At times, these trail cameras go off. We receive pictures of nighttime photographs. Sometimes you'll see deer in the photographs. Other times it could be something like raccoons or other wildlife. But the witness isn't submitting it for the deer, the raccoon, etc. They're submitting because at times they see these orbs floating around inside the photographs. Well, the orbs can be due to dust. Dust in the air when the photograph was taken. One of the things that happened when you've got the change in technology like we have, you go from older cameras that used film. In those older cameras, you had a different design to the lenses. Think about it. Especially like in the 35 millimeter cameras, you have these big bulky lenses. And even in the smaller cameras, you had these plastic lenses a lot of times, sometimes glass. But it was a different design. When you look at a cell phone, a cell phone is so much more compact. It's also got a flash unit very, very close to the lens itself. On older cameras, referring to the film type, yes, you did have a lens and you had deflation at relatively close to the lens. If you think about professional photographers, though, like when they're doing wedding photography, other things like that, a number of times the inflation it was separated, separated by a greater distance. That greater distance minimized some of the reflections and so forth you see coming back. In the case of cell phones, though, cell phone cameras, with that flash being so close to the lens, the lens being a much more compact design, now you're seeing these orbs popping up in the photographs because of reflection off of dust particles in the air. Individuals who are going out doing ghost hunting, paranormal hunting, they see these orbs and they can be misidentified as being something related to paranormal. In the UFO field, individuals do report orbs. One of the contentions that's been out there is, where is the line between paranormal and UFOs? Where's that line at? If you have an orb floating around inside of a room, the automatic assumption pretty much is that orb is related to, let's say, something paranormal or you know, maybe a ghost. If you were outside, that same orb was floating around above the ground. Individuals may assume that that orb isn't paranormal, but it's UFO related. But what if they're one and the same? That's just something that's being thrown out there for food for thought. 
there's so many other things out there that contribute to identifying something that um, a witness had in a photograph. We receive photographs that show objects. And these objects were observed while somebody was in a car. They're out driving a car. They took a photograph. And when they looked at the photograph later on, and this, this is one of the things you look at is, they say they looked at the photograph. They didn't see it initially when they took the photograph, but after they took the photograph, they got home, they looked at it, they noticed these unusual objects, these unusual lights. The assumption that they had was, well, these things must have been captured by the camera. My eyes couldn't see it, but the camera was able to detect it. In some of these cases, the investigators able to identify the source of that object. What happens is the individual may be out at night, could even happen during the day. They take the photograph, they look at it, they see an unusual object in the photograph, an unusual light, an unusual object of some sort that appears maybe solid, maybe semi-solid. On examination, it's actually reflection from inside the car. Photographs taken at night sometimes contain reflections of something inside the car itself. That could be another light source. That could be something that's just a component of the car. Just happens to be reflecting off the glass in a unique way. If the witness isn't familiar with something like that being able to happen, it's understandable then why they may think it's, it's something outside the car that's not visible to the naked eye. That, that puts me on another subject before we go on. And again, I'm getting off the tangent a little bit, but there have been cases where individuals have seen something that other witnesses in the region haven't. So this is why you can't dismiss all these photographs as being something that is a reflection from inside the car. It requires analysis to go back and say, okay, was it really attributed to something inside the car? Because there have been cases where witnesses, in this case there's a MUFON case in the region I'm from, that the witness was driving down a semi-rural road. And I say semi-rural, but it was outside of a larger city. Not huge, but a population of about 100,000. In this region, there happened to be a shopping center, maybe it was a couple miles away. You also had a regional airport within about five miles. So these were considerations to report. But the witness pulled up to a stop sign, looked out their window, and they saw this triangular object hovering at treetop height. The distance from the witness was only several hundred feet away. They're looking up. They see this triangular object. It's just about dusk, and there's, there's a lot of light out yet. Per the witness, they said that you could see a corrugated-like material on the bottom of the craft. It was gray in color. There were no lights, but it was just a dark, triangular craft hovering there. They said it also appeared to have heat coming off of it, like the metal, or if it was a metal, was hot. It was putting off that aura effect, almost like what you see from a hot asphalt road. 
they pulled off to the side of the road to get a better look, rolled down their window. They could see the object was still there. It wasn't a reflection off the window. They're looking up at it. Then they notice that all these cars are going by. Again, it's semi-rural, but you have traffic in the region, evidently going to the mall and some other businesses in the region. Traffic was going by and nobody noticed it. And they couldn't figure out why. Why is nobody seeing what I am seeing? The object then slowly starts turning. It starts gaining speed. And as they they looked up at it, they thought that, well, maybe the reason this thing is leaving is because I saw it and nobody else did. When the witness made that statement, it makes you think, wait a minute, maybe not everybody was seeing the object. And maybe something about this person was a little bit unique that allowed them to see it. The witness couldn't help but think as the object left, the reason they left is because I was the one that was seeing it and it didn't want to be observed. Well, after break, we'll come back and continue with this subject. This is Thomas Wortman on Euphodicy. Life is a journey. Your life, my life. We are merely travelers in this physical plane we call Earth, going to and from our place of business, our homes, and our families, completely unaware of our destinations. We take each day with the faith and promise of a better tomorrow. Perhaps it's not the journey that's important, but what we learn along the way, the lessons we are taught. There are some lessons, however, that were never meant to be taught. Some roads never meant to be traveled. It was just another day in your life's travel, but suddenly you realize you've taken a detour, somehow, some way. You've ended up on the paranormal road. Tune in Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. to listen to Paranormal Road. Each week, host Dave and Randy will explore and talk about various paranormal topics. Join us on the Paranormal Road. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this message from Old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Ah, those speedy Alka-Seltzer bubbles burst into action to relieve your upset stomach and aching head fast. It was only as directed. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. Marku 42 is now on Odyssey. Marku 42 is the award-winning Doctor Who radio show, but now we go beyond the Hooniverse. It's not just Doctor Who anymore, it's sci-fi in general. Well, okay, we also talk Doctor Who. We can't get rid of that. Consult the Odyssey website for the programming schedule at odysy1.com. Marku 42 on Odyssey. Welcome back to the second half of Euphodicy on Odyssey. This is your host, Thomas Wortman. Right before the break, I was I mentioned about the fact of an individual seeing an object and nobody else did. That's been reported a number of times uh, in UFO reports. 
And there can be a number of reasons why maybe that individual saw something nobody else did. One of the quick explanations before I move on is a lot of people may be on their cell phones or doing something else as they're driving. And they never notice that object above it. Something that uh, you may look at the next time you're out driving is how many people are operating a cell phone. The cell phone could be distracting just enough that they, they never look up to see that object. But again, you know, I'm not saying that's what happened in this case. But there is a possibility that some people may be more sensitive to seeing things than others. I can mention some more reports, but uh, we'll save that for another day, another time. Of that 3%, something I want to kind of mention to individuals out there is when MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, goes out and they investigate a case, we've got 90 days, and that's not a concrete, locked in concrete, but it's an ideal date that we want to close a case within 90 days. There's several reasons for that. One, if, if you let cases drag out forever, witnesses may forget information. Uh, they may not want to talk about it because they may think nobody's interested. So investigators want to go out and get that case researched as soon as possible. They want to make sure they get the information from the witnesses as soon as possible so that things aren't forgotten. If there were images like taken on cell phones and so forth, they want to make sure they get those photographs before witnesses may simply delete that information off their phones. So we want to follow up on those as soon as possible. In doing so, uh, the investigator goes back, they research the case. I have to be very honest with individuals that you've got, let's say, just throwing a random number out here. I don't know exactly how many right now, but you may have roughly about 800 investigators working worldwide for MUFON. And in those 800 investigators, you will have varying degrees of knowledge. MUFON does a very good job at providing certification tests. The certification test is designed to create a basic core knowledge within investigators. They also have MUFON University. It's an online training area where individuals can go through online courses. The idea, again, is to provide a basic core knowledge for investigations. And not just a basic core knowledge, but consistency in core knowledge. Where differences enter out in investigation processes, you may have investigators with different other core knowledge outside of what they've received online. This core knowledge could be from various fields that they're involved with. For example, you could have somebody who is a former or who's a pilot who has knowledge of aeronautical airways, flight traffic, airplanes, as far as how they look, not just how they look, but how they move through the sky. Those individuals may be more skilled at identifying objects related to potential aircraft. You could have somebody involved with the military, somebody who is former military, 
who may know certain military operation regions around various states. If they see reports popping up in certain regions, they may go back and look to see if a certain military unit was conducting exercises. Let's say, for example, flying helicopters in a given region. Investigators not familiar with those regions may not look specifically at a military explanation. Or they may suspect it, but not have really the data behind that thought to, you know, really confirm that. You could have somebody that's very good at graphics, Photoshop, tools along those lines. Somebody maybe who's done, let's say, advertising, creating graphics for advertising. They may be able to look at a photograph and they may have abilities to go back and look at those photographs in a more unique way. They may know how to identify somebody who's potentially hoaxing a photograph. Or not just hoaxing a photograph as far as taking it, modifying it, but potentially using an app to insert an image into a photograph. The things that can be done, by the way, now a Photoshop are amazing. And it's going to be more difficult down the road to identify a hoax photograph from when it's not. Something um, they could be looking for is just shadows. Shadows don't appear quite right between the object that's being recorded and the background images in the photograph. So again, just to kind of summarize that, with 800 different people, you can have different skill sets within that 800. And the idea that MUFON wants to do is they want to create a more consistent training program across the board. And I'm sure they understand that there's going to be unique differences within that. But they want to provide a basic core knowledge. So if somebody's just not looking at a report and saying by gut instinct, ah, this is what I think it is. They want to look at supporting data, supporting information behind those reports. So when Rutowski said that 3% of the cases that came in were un, basically unknown, unidentified, those unidentified fall into a couple main categories in MUFON. One is they're considered an unknown UAV which means they're considered an unknown aerial vehicle. So it's something that an individual can basically see in the sky. It appears to be a vehicle, something, let's say, like an airplane, but it's not an airplane. It appears to be a solid object of some sort that has movements consistent with, let's say, some sort of an aerial vehicle. That's one of the areas it can fall into as far as an unknown. The other could be unknown, what's considered unknown other, which could be something like an orb. Somebody sees an orb or a light moving through the sky. It can fall into that category, that they see a light, they see something like that moving, but they can't tell if it's an actual vehicle supporting that light. But again, both of these are in the category of unknowns. A high percentage of what was identified in, uh, you know, the Canadian report, when I pulled the information, goes back to IFO. IFO mean identified flying object. Well, when it comes into identified flying object, MUFON sets out a basic description on what they consider 
what's considered to be an IFO. An IFO is considered, it's considered to be a natural phenomena. It could be man-made, could go back to celestial, uh, a star-like object, could be a star, planet, etc. Could be a satellite. But what MUFON states is the investigator that's doing the case doesn't have to have 100% concrete information behind the event that what the witnesses saw was an aircraft or a satellite, etc. The investigator just has to be 70% confident that the witness did see something that was potentially related to an aircraft. For example, the investigator may go back and pull information regarding flight traffic. That information may say that there's no flight traffic in the region. But if the investigator goes back and researches that case, they look at the motions made by the object, and those motions were consistent with maybe something like a life flight helicopter, that the lighting pattern appeared to be similar. It contained, let's say, flashing lights similar to what a life flight may have. The aircraft flew through a region that maybe there were hospitals. Well, the investigator doesn't have to have 100% concrete information that, yeah, there was a life flight flying through the region, but if all the indicators that were pointed out indicate that it was consistent with something like a light flight helicopter, then the investigator can consider that as being an identified case. The same holds true that, let's say the witness reports a star-like object appearing in the sky. This star-like object appears in the same area of the sky on multiple nights at the same time and has the same motions descending on the horizon. The witness just may not be familiar with what direction they're really looking at. And I've and there have been witnesses who have stated that, you know, I don't really know what direction I'm looking. Well, one of the thoughts that, you know, you have as an investigator is get out your cell phone. A lot of cell phones actually have compasses built into them that you can kind of determine the direction. But some people don't want to go that far. But if the investigator looks at that core information and says, okay, yeah, I didn't pull up an astronomy program, to confirm this, but the indicators point out that the witness is seeing an object in the same location of the sky. It appears night after night in that same area at the same time. It descends on the horizon in the same pattern. Then it must be something celestial. Then again, the investigator consider that can consider that IFO identified as long as there's 70% or more confident that that's what the witness saw. One of the things I noted, though, in the, in the Canadian cases were a lot of cases which were classified as insufficient data. And this is one of the categories that MUFON can assign. Insufficient data represents that, number one, the witness may not have responded after three attempts. MUFON recommends three attempts to contact the witness and not by the same method, but they recommend saying, okay, contact, try to contact the witness by phone. Try to contact them by email. Reach out to them in, by at least two different means. 
In doing so, the witness never responded to either method. A second criteria goes along with that. When they the investigator looks at the report, and the investigator doesn't have enough information to really draw a conclusion. So the investigator looks at the report. The witness, let's say, doesn't provide an address. They basically say, I'm in Canada. Well, Canada is kind of a big country. And without knowing exactly where they're at, you really don't get a whole lot of information on where really go from. I mean, there's so many avenues to pursue. I mean, it, it could have been military aircraft. It could have been a commercial. Maybe it wasn't any of the above, but, you know, you really don't know where to start at. So there's not enough information to really even start an investigation. I didn't look through all the Canadian cases, but pretty self-assured that if you did go back and look at those cases, you would find, you know, individuals doing that, not really giving a good description of where they're at. Second thing is, they may have reported a case. They may have stated where they lived at. But when you go down, you start looking at the information regarding their sighting. They don't point out, let's say, a given date. They don't necessarily point out a given time frame. They really don't tell you what type of object they saw. Was it star-like? Was it big? Was it little? What direction were they looking? So really it goes back to the investigator really didn't have a good starting point on where to go from. How to really conduct an investigation. If that report meets that second criteria... Now the investigator can go back and close that case out as considered, in this case, insufficient data. I, I really don't have a starting point. That's what they're basically saying. I can understand why the witness may not want to, you know, provide their name. There are sometimes cases where the individual says, you know, I don't really give my name because I'm afraid that the men in black may come around. Well, when you, I think about these cases and... I think a lot of other investigators would think the same thing. When you think about the chances of that happening with most people filing report, that may be unfounded. But you could have a certain case where maybe an individual who filed a report is, let's say, a, a, a commercial airline pilot. Maybe that person was former military involved in certain areas. And they're afraid that Somebody may get into the database and say, wait a minute, I see these names of people who are former pilots, former military, and they may be identified. For example, they may be thinking, how can you, you swear to me that, let's say, a database like MUFONS can't be broken into? Personally, I have to be honest with you, I can't. Why? Because if you have hackers out there good enough to break into major corporations, get past the dollars they spend on security, how can I come out and say that MUFON, being a, a volunteer organization, how can we be immune to that? I can't. So I can understand in this case why, you know, people may want to be hesitant about providing names for that matter, locations, and so forth. And I think you're always going to have a degree of that happening on reports coming to an organization like MUFON.
but it seemed like they did have a fairly high number of cases regarding insufficient data. Again, I didn't go back and look at all the individual cases to say for sure 100% why that may have happened. But I just wanted to point out to everybody out there that when these cases aren't resolved, this is one of the areas why they may not be resolved, is there's just insufficient data coming in to really work the case. You have a couple other categories out there that MUFON has. One is information only. This can kind of be summed up kind of simple, like an individual who turned a report in is not the original witness. In other words, the guy says, hey, my girlfriend saw a UFO. She didn't want to go in and report it, so I'm going to report it for her. So what he's doing is he's filling out the report and giving all the information. So it's really coming in secondhand. Another area would be somebody sees something on television. We get these on occasion. Somebody says, hey, I saw this video on television that had a UFO. I think MUFON should look into it. Or for that matter, somebody says, hey, I saw this video on YouTube. This guy said, you know, there's UFOs being seen off the coast of the United States. They're appearing in this region. I think somebody should look into it. And I want to point it out to MUFON to make sure that they're aware of these videos. So these, informa- these are going as information only. Because again, the person submitting the port report is not the one who saw the object. They're just providing information on potential sightings out there. A category that sometimes can be interesting, and humorous too, is hoaxes. Very few hoaxes come in. But these hoaxes can go back into a couple different categories. One is somebody created the whole event. I mean, with a pandemic, you, you, I mean, sometimes people get bored. People sit around. And we've had a few people out there, not a lot, but a few people out there who have faked events. They've gone out for one and maybe taken a drone. And they've fly, flown a drone around a certain region saying that, hey, let's fly this drone around here and let's take and get a a camera out. Let's get our cell phones out. Let's record it. And let's make sure that we take a poor video. Can't have a good video. Let's make sure we shake the camera a lot. Let's make sure we use a lot of colorful metaphors describing the event. And then we'll post it on YouTube. Along with posting on YouTube, then we'll file a report to move on. We've had some fake names coming in for these reports. Some of the names that come in are kind of comical. I've also seen email addresses that when you follow up and try to send an email out, they bounce back. And somebody's created hoaxed email addresses. One way that you can kind of identify these reports, and I don't know how many people have thought about this, Coming from education, in education, sometimes you have to be concerned about individuals copying stuff. Let's say like copying reports, copying term papers. You look for plagiarism. Something you can do is take certain statements out of what the witness said. You can copy that. 
you can do a Google search, putting it in quotation marks, that little short statement. And you go out and you look for that same statement appearing elsewhere on the internet. There have been a few cases where when that was done, it was identified that that statement wasn't really from the witness, but it was from an article not related to what the witness saw. Or it came from a book. It goes back to kind of like plagiarism on the term paper. That somebody really saw a statement that sounded great and he turned it in as a report. And there are a number of other things that can go along with, you know, the faking of things. You can fake the photograph, fake the movies. Um, you may just create a whole unique story somebody may. But again, the whole event has been hoaxed. So it's a phony report. Again, small percentage. You've also got another one which goes back to keystrokes. Now, this is more specific for the ones which were the ones which are typed up. That somebody's created a written fabrication. A hoaxed event is more something like videos or something like that that comes out on the internet. That somebody's you know, definitely staged something as far as a whole event itself. A keystroke is more something where somebody's just completely just typed something up for fooling the public. But nonetheless, both those kind of go in categories of hoaxes. In looking at the Canadian data, the 3% that was unidentified, that's based on the fact that those were the ones categorized specifically as unknowns. In that 97% of the other cases, not all that 97% was identified. Another percentage was identified. A separate percentage, which appeared to be a, a fairly sizable one, not major, but uh, I, should, I shouldn't say not major, but a fairly sizable one was information only. Regarding there was enough information to make a determination. That's one area uh, that MUFON's working on addressing as a whole, not just specific to Canada, but as a whole, to get that category improved. Because if you have, just to throw a random number out, I'm getting this number is not based on anything, but if you say 30% of your cases are insufficient data, then you have to have a way of going back and getting more data on those reports. You'll probably never get 100%. But, at improving that 30% number. Because if you look at the thing overall, if 30% of those cases are insufficient data, what percentage of that 30% could have been maybe identified with more information, or for that matter, may have left your head shaking if you had more information on that 30%. That may have gone into categories of unknowns. So it could have changed that 3% number they had in Canada. It may not have changed drastically, but it could have changed maybe a few percent. So the categories behind these, that, you know, the 3% and so forth, they were stating in that article. This is how MUFON kind of breaks that down. That poses a question, why the 50% increase reports? Rakowski states that, you know, they're getting more reports in from 
pilots, individuals who have operated radar systems, and just the ordinary person out there who's looking up at the sky. These people are reporting seeing lights, spears, etc. And there's a number of theories behind it. But I think if you look at the core, if you look at the core behind it, right now more people are out looking at the skies. You've got a number of people outside doing basic activities. As I led in tonight's show with, you don't have the sporting events going on that people are attending. People may be out more barbecuing right now. Uh, a friend of mine the other day made a comment on the fact that, you know, he went out to look at fishing gear. He says, I went out to buy fishing line and I couldn't find any fishing line in the stores. A lot of stuff was sold out. He says, fishing gear was sold out. He says, you think about bicycles? And I was looking for one the other day. I couldn't find a bicycle in the store unless I went to an expensive bike shop. But you don't see that many bikes. Uh, it's simple stores like Walmart. Part of that can be from, you know, people started buying bicycles to have something else to do due to the pandemic. And, you know, stores like Walmart aren't going to go out and order most likely a bunch more bicycles this time of year. They know we're approaching the wintertime. They know that since a lot of things are seasonal, that a number of stores may not need these until, you know, next year. So why have them on inventory if we're not going to be selling a lot of them? But again, you know, people are doing activities like biking, fishing, boating. If you drive around and look at some of the restaurants that have outside dining, you've got a number of people dining in outside areas. So this can account for part of maybe that 50% increase. Plus the other thing is more people are trapped inside. They may be surfing the internet. They may be looking for things on the internet. They may be watching more shows related to UFOs on television or surfing social media sites with things UFO related just because they're looking for activities, something to keep their mind busy. This increased um, viewing of the television shows, surfing at the internet, etc., may be making them more aware of things around their environment when they're outside. So when these people are out biking, fishing, boating, etc., they may be saying, hey, you know, I saw this uh, MUFON website, so, you know, hey, what else all turn into MUFON? They're more aware of organizations who receive reports. One big thing is, is right now the um, show Unidentified has been promoting a lot of the UFO cases. And this goes back to the articles that broke um, with the Pentagon, through the Pentagon, and about what the Pentagon was doing regarding UFO investigations. Also that the government's reestablishing a program of which the Naval Department's going to be researching unknowns, not saying they're aliens, but they're going to be looking at unknowns for potential national security threats. And the public's being more aware of that. And that's where we may be seeing that 50% increase from. But I just want to state that everything I'm seeing, um, Rutowski's right 
on point with what he said. Um, their reports are up. And the key thing is why? Well, this is Thomas Wortman on Euphodicy, on Odyssey. We're right at the end of another program. We'll see you again next week. You are now entering Odyssey Station. Please remain seated until docking is complete. Odyssey, dare to wonder. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.